0: Well, we were, uh, we were in London with a, a mission team, and we went down into the, uh, the subway in London. Who all has ridden the Underground here? Have you? Okay. So this is familiar to you. All right. Does anyone? You, you recognize this? Mind the gap. Mind the gap. Okay. You can't walk into the subway terminal without hearing a very pleasant British lady say this. The train is approaching. I'm not even going to try it. But anyway, I'll say it. <laughs> Mind the gap, right? she says it's so much more amazing than that. And the the point is, is that there is a gap between the train and the the platform, and they want you to mind the gap. Pay attention, be careful, approach this gap with great care and regard. And what's amazing is you can't get this out of your head. I mean, you, you can be in London for a short time and you will never forget this lady telling you to mind the gap. So I've titled my sermon, Mind the Vow. Mind the Vow. Mind the Vow. Be aware of it. Be careful. Approach the vow with great regard and awareness and sensitivity and care. That is what Leviticus 27 is calling us to. And so we're going to move through these verses Um, what's interesting though, just by way of beginning, I want to ask this question. Why is this the last chapter of Leviticus? I I mean, I was digging through these verses this week and I'm just like, this, this feels totally out of order. I mean, we, we would think that chapter 26 would close, right? The, here is the law, here are the commandments. Here's what I'd like you to do. Now here's the thing, obedience, blessing, disobedience, cursing. It's the terms of the covenant. It, it would be a perfect period to a wonderful book. And then you come to 27 and you're like, wow, this feels like we're back in the in the middle of all of the stuff we've already moved through. There's a lot of discussion about this. Obviously, the liberals find an opportunity here to jump on this. Oh, this really isn't probably supposed to be here. It was probably added on later on. And, and their, their criticism of the text is always so you know, high and mighty, but uh, we here, we tuck under this text. We, we are under these words, and so we don't stand off and criticize them. We seek to understand, well, what, what is this about? Why would this chapter be here? And here's what I'd like to suggest. It has everything to do with drawing a connection between God's words and our words. God has just spent an entire chapter making a pledge, as it were, a promise, a vow. If you obey, if you walk with me, these are yours. This is covenant blessing. Enjoy them. Delight in them. However, if you disobey, you will lose these opportunities and you will receive punishment. Can God be trusted? Is he a God of his word? Absolutely he is. And then he addresses our words. It's as if he's saying, I'm going to keep my pledge to you. You need to be aware when you make pledges to me. You need to be careful and mind the vow. When you approach any instinct to say, oh God, I promise I'm going to do this or, or this or that. You, you have to be aware. These words matter. The words I've given you matter, but the words you give to me, they matter as well. And so that's my best understanding of of why chapter 27 is the final chapter of Leviticus. It's also worth noting that uh, the the Pentateuch is not complete yet. There's Numbers and there's Deuteronomy. So the giving of the law in in its fullness, the historical account of their wanderings in the desert, that's not done. Just like Exodus hands into Leviticus, so Leviticus hands then into Numbers and then Deuteronomy um, helps to wrap up that, that, uh, that journey. So um, we're in the midst of a story as we conclude uh, a, a season or a chapter in Leviticus. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to move through all of the verses of chapter 27 in Leviticus all at once. And then I want to survey across them all. They're all woven together and connected to this topic of vow-making and promising God things. And so <clears throat> I think we can unpack them and kind of see them as a unit, and I think they'll make a lot more sense. I also just say I, I worked on this, and uh, I could not believe how many uh, preachers preached to, to 26 and then didn't preach 27. It was amazing to me. I have a commentary that literally had no words on chapter 27, and that I'm getting worried. Like on Tuesday, I'm like, well, good grief. What do I do with this chapter? No one's saying anything about it so we're going to do our best here i did find some great help and uh i think we'll understand this better as we as we get into it so four and a half minutes esv audio we know the drill let's run through chapter 27
1: here we go the lord spoke to moses saying speak to the people of israel and say to them if anyone makes a special vow to the lord involving the valuation of persons then the valuation of a male from twenty years old up to sixty years old shall be fifty shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary if the person is a female the valuation shall be thirty shekels if the person is from five years old up to twenty years old the valuation shall be for a male twenty shekels and for a female ten shekels if the person is from a month old up to five years old the valuation shall be for a male five shekels of silver and for a female the valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if the person is sixty years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be fifteen shekels, and for a female ten shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest, and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. If the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he does in fact substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it as either good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at fifty shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of jubilee, and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. But if he does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. But the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not a part of his possession, then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of Jubilee, and the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty giras shall make a shekel. But a firstborn of animals which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate, whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation, and add a fifth to it, or, if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed, every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed, he shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Okay. There it is.
0: Lots of details, lots of things happening in here. Um, There's a list of things that you can vow and dedicate to the Lord, and then there's some things that he basically says that these are already mine. You you can't you can't say, well, these are dedicated to the Lord. He's like, I already own them. Uh, The firstborn of your animals, your tithe, that's already mine. So, um, if he says put this city under the ban, you can't say, well, but but we'll dedicate it to you. No, that is the dedication. If it's under the ban, it's it's to be devoted to destruction, um, and, and it's, it's mine already. So that's the last part of the section. But uh, people, animals, houses, and fields, these are all available to be vowed to the Lord. Um, and, and specifically so, the priest would be uh, walking through the process that God ordained specifically for the, the man, according to his age. Now, this is connected to his uh, labor capacity uh, in the field. Um, or uh, the child, for example. If a child is dedicated to the Lord, uh, then there's a certain price that, they, that is given uh, upon that child. Um, and all of us are kind of like, what? Like, what is this? We have no, there's nothing in really our practice like this that, that we can connect to. So let me bridge the gap a bit and explain some situations where this may unfold. Because frankly, in this time, this was common. This was very common practice. And the Lord knew that his people would do this. And so in a sense, he's giving them some instruction about how to do it in a way that honors him. So situations of voluntary vow making. Key word there, voluntary. Voluntary. This is from from me. I just, I just, oh, Lord, I just want to vow this. And so maybe a time of crisis in an act of faith. It's a tangible way to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. It is not manipulation. We've got to be clear on this. It is not manipulation. You're not strong-arming God or doing a deal with God. You are saying, you are able, I believe, And i trust you a great example of this is hannah when she's praying right for a child she says to the lord in her prayers if you would give me a son i will dedicate him all of his life to the service of the temple and he'll never have a haircut no no blade will ever touch his head so the nazarite vow was was a part of that as well so even uh, you see some of this vow making in the New Testament. Paul the apostle um, made uh, a vow and uh, cut his hair and, and did various things. And so um, there's there's both Old Testament practice and some of this echoes into the New Testament as well. A sense of calling. This might be a, a vow made um, as an act of obedience to the Lord. Maybe some form of uh, a situation arises and you just say man i just feel like the lord's laid it on my heart to vow this to him it's an over and above gift this is not this is not a replacement of the tithe this is not in lieu of the sacrifice this, all of this is happening. All the sacrifices are continuing to be made. But in addition to this, I just feel, Lord, that you have laid it on my heart to do this. And out of a sense of, of joy and obedience, I want to trust you and, and vow this to you. But I think most commonly, the last category is what was practice. It was just a heart of gratitude. God, you've been so good to us. You've given us a bumper crop this year. So in addition to what I would normally give you this year, I'm going to give you the whole crop as gratitude. I vow that to you. Now, what would happen in that exchange is it, would, it was all, all of this vowing was focused toward the tabernacle, toward the Levites, the workers, uh, the priests, and uh, eventually the temple, right? So it would come to the temple as a gift to the Lord, and then it would be in, entrusted to the, the, the priests, the Levites, whether it was land or, or an animal or a person, for, in, for instance. You could say, God, I dedicate myself for this next year to you, to your service. And so you go to the priest and you say, listen, I, I, God has just been so good to me. I want to give one year of my life, of my hard work and labor to serve the Lord fully. And because you're not a Levite, you would probably hear, Praise God, thank you for this generous gift. I will put you to work in my field, uh, the field that was dedicated. So the priests don't own land, but they were gifted land for a season and and workers and, and animals and various things. And so they would oversee some of these things in the acts of generosity as they came to the Lord. So, I mean, when you read through the Psalms, for example, you see this language come up again and again. Before you, I will perform my vows. Uh, You are so good. Oh God, I worship you. And I keep my vows that I've made. So lots of vow making happening in this day. I think mostly connected to overwhelming gratitude at God's goodness. Want to note this in chapter 27, there is no uh, requirement of the vow. Nothing here that says you have to do this. In fact, I'll show you in just a minute, lots of encouragement to be careful to do it or just don't do it um, he, he's warning them he also doesn't give any ceremonial instruction for the vow making process as we're used to right you go through the sacrificing system and every detail every little piece he gives step-by-step instruction that's not here the only instruction that's given is how do you um, place a price upon what is vowed and given And that is the work that God gives then to the priests in various situations. The emphasis of 27 is, in fact, how serious it is to break a vow to God. That's the overarching emphasis that you see. And uh, God is is basically saying, listen, I keep my word. My people are to keep their word as well. And when they make a pledge to me, a big deal. So listen to this from Numbers uh, chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That's a big deal, right? We don't just have these moments where we say, oh Lord, I'm just gonna sell all my stuff and give it to you and then I'm gonna move to a far off country and wherever you, I'm just yes emotional high i just promised the world and then i wake up the next morning and be like nah (laughs) you didn't hear that did you i didn't really say that did i say that out loud uh yeah you did what do i do what do i do leviticus 27 guard your mouth in the calculation of how you speak these vows. Mind the vow. But if you vow something, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh man, what did I do? I, what have I committed myself? I can't do this. There's no way I can pull this off. I overcommitted. What do I do? This is amazing. That's when Leviticus 27 begins to really kick in. What if I say something of a vow to the Lord? Uh, I vow this piece of property or this uh, special animal or I decide to give this bull and all of a sudden I can't do it. I just can't. Well, he gives you an out. He gives you an out. There is a way that you can indeed redeem your words. Redeem that vow. You can buy it back, but it'll cost you. You have to redeem that vow at the valuation of the priest or of the specifics that the, the Lord has already given and then add, in most cases, 20%. 20%. This is a significant cost. In, in some cases, the price that he's putting on these various you know, items and animals or people are upwards of four and a half months of work. So this is no small thing. What is he encouraging his people to? Care with the vow be aware of what kind of words you are going to speak we don't just loosely pledge and promise the world and then renege that doesn't square with who i am what i think was struck by as i just stared at these verses all week long is this is kindness this is god's love he knows our hearts he knows how we are inclined to which we're we're a fickle-hearted people one moment we're promising the world the next moment we're like oh my goodness what did i what did i do he's giving provision here of mercy Hmm. it's a gift of his kindness and love leviticus 27 echoes for moments of our stupidity and out he says there's a way out now it's expensive and you're going to have to work. And, and trust me, if you do this and, and, and you buy it out and you work four and a half months, you're going to think a lot more carefully the next time you get ready to vow something, aren't you? Hmm. So care in vow-making. Consequence in vow-making and care in vow-making. And just say this. Quick words, friends, carry real consequences. Quick words carry real consequences. Let me show you this picture. What do you think? Just a pastoral word of wisdom here. If you happen to run into someone in Vegas, and you just think the world of that person, and you're like, you know what? There's a wedding chapel just down the street, and Elvis is there. We should just get married. Now, here's the thing. On rare occasions, this is awesome, right? So if you were married at at an Elvis wedding chapel, please do not be offended. I am not knocking your wedding. I'm sure it was very careful with the vow and all of that. But I would just say in, in general terms, okay? General terms, this is not a good idea. It tends to be a failure to mind the vow. Listen to these words. It is a snare to say rashly, oh, it's holy. It's the Lord's. I'm going to give it to the Lord. And then to reflect only after making the vow. This is words of Solomon. This is is wisdom here. I think the closest thing that comes to us when we think vow is marriage, right? That's the vow that shapes in our times more than any vow. But there are other vows as well. Who do we go into business with? How's it gonna look? What's it gonna work like? And how do we think that through? We have to mind the vow. Be cautious and careful. Weigh it out it through. One of the things that shows up in the story of scripture is how often God's people will run ahead of God and forget to say, Lord, wait, we want to bring this to you. What would you have us do? And we're going to, we're going to sit on it for a while. We're going to wait until we know that this is your will. And sometimes God closes the door and spares us a world of hurt Sometimes he brings wise counsel into our lives that help us to follow the Lord's best for us. And sometimes he blows the door wide open and says, oh, go for it. Hmm. Mind the vow. Deuteronomy 23, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. That's a temptation I make this vow rashly, and then I realize what I've done, and I say, well, in, in 10 years, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll be able to do that then. No, no, no. He says, listen, if you make a vow, it's time to fulfill it. You need to, to not delay. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. What is the sin there? Lying dishonesty, maybe greed, selfishness creeps back in. In a moment, we say, Lord, this is all for you, and then all of a sudden, something sneaks back in. No, but I don't want to give it all. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. Look at his words of wisdom there. Mind the vow, my friends. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips, for you Have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God, voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God, what you have promised with your mouth. I remember when I was in junior high, uh, our youth pastor pointed to one of these verses and said, You guys really need to be careful what you promise to God. And I appreciate that. That was in a day when you would go to like a missions conference and they would get you all frothed up and then and, and have you commit your life to the mission field and, and, and things. And, and I just, I appreciated the counsel and care of our youth guy to say, not to say that God won't lead that way. He can very much. And praise the Lord when he does. Sometimes it's decisive. And other times he's saying, mind the vow. Be cautious. Be aware. Pray about it. Take your time. Don't rush in. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in pain for it, for he has no pleasure in fools. There's a little glimpse of what he's calling us away from. Don't be rash with your words. Don't be foolish. Don't be cultural. Don't just follow your emotions and just promise the world. No, when you speak a pledge, do it and commit to it and follow. That pleases me. That pleases warms my heart that honors me pay what you owe it's better that you should not vow than should you that you should vow and not pay let not your mouth lead you into sin now there is a world of wisdom in that last statement from ecclesiastes let not your mouth lead you into sin oh think of the fruits of the spirit at work right there for new testament believers Maybe most prominent is self-control. In a day, let's be real, where the expressions of the tongue don't even require you to open your mouth, all you have to do is type and hit post. Let not your thumbs lead you into sin. Be aware, our words matter, they matter. We are held to account for every careless word, Jesus says. We have to be a people who discipline our tongues and our thumbs and and, and when we speak the words, we want to season them with grace. We don't want it to be people who just drop the blade every opportunity we can get. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Hmm. We are to be a people of our word. People of our word. So, just hear from me, especially young people here, it's a serious thing to make a vow to God and, and not fulfill it. I think we want to be wise. One of the most helpful things we can do is pray over seek counsel together. In fact, I just met this past week with someone who was saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out this job thing. I'm praying it through, and I'm like, yeah, I'll join you in that. Let me join you in that prayer. And we'll see what God does. We'll see how he opens doors. That's good. It's good to do that. It doesn't have to be me. It could be anyone here. Invite others into the counsel and the decision-making process. If you're dating and you're wondering if this special gal is the one for you, it's good to seek counsel and wisdom. Get a third party to look in. Definitely come and talk to your pastor. I'm great at starting arguments for people who never argue. That's part of my job. Well, have you guys thought about this? Ooh, That's love. That's love. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are. Listen, his is. Delight! He loves it! When we keep our word, God is honored when we keep our word. Be it a business deal or your marriage vows. Maybe most especially your marriage vows. Think of the glory that is connected to the keeping of the vow. I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. I will love you with an everlasting love. Hmm. In a day where the vow is treated so lightly, Christians can indeed shine as we mind the vow. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. I was struck by this just thinking back about this exchange that happened early in the chapters of Acts. Who did they lie to? You remember this? The Lord. You have lied to the Spirit. That was probably a vow like this. They probably said, Lord, we pledge to you all of our land that we're going to sell. It's all yours. But when they brought the money, they held some back and God dropped him dead in front of the church. Can you, you, you talk about leave a mark. All of a sudden, someone brings something forward, praising the Lord, glorifying God. They don't say a thing about holding that back, and then, bam, they're dead right here. Ananias drops, I believe, first, and they're hauling him out. His wife comes in later, right? Same thing, she's got a chance to tell the truth, but does she? No, boom, she's dead too. That should illustrate the significance of this loving and grace-filled, kind warning of God. Don't lie to me. Be careful with what you promise. And if you promise it, follow through. Or redeem it, redeem it. Now, functioning here for us in the church, obviously, this is laws that are given to Israel. They're not functioning for us today. This is not uh, a requirement. We're not, I don't have a system on my wall where I'm like, okay, now how old are you? Okay, um, that'll be five shekels. We don't do that anymore. But the principle lives on. That's so significant for us. God is true and always true to his word, and so should we be in all of our words. We are his ambassadors. We are witnesses, and so when we speak, we speak words of life and truth. If we're inconsistent, we pull our testimony down and we hinder the advance of the gospel. Truth tellers, that's what we're to be. That is his calling. Leviticus 27. I like how Jesus echoed this. In fact, he said just before this, he's like, listen, don't don't swear by anything. You don't have to say, listen, I stand on my mother's grave. I'm telling the truth. You know, you don't have to say that. Is it stand on? No, you're not supposed to stand on. Stand by or I don't know. I don't say that. Here's what Jesus says. Just let what you say be yes or no. It's it's simple. It's either yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Mind the vow. Friends, this is a great way for us to end Leviticus. Mind the vow. Be a people of our word. This is part of our call to be holy, to be representatives, to shine of who God is in the way that we speak words and then hold ourselves to what we speak. What I'd like to do is survey now back over the 14 chapters as we finish here in Leviticus and just kind of bring this exposition journey here to an end. So look back with me just mentally, just journey back with all the different things we've seen and heard and remember the entrails and the The long lobe of the liver. That was, man, we started off in the thick of it, didn't we? Oh, so many different parts on display. The holiness of God is the overarching theme. God is a holy, holy, holy God. We learn of His holiness as He speaks these commandments. we, We see What does it mean that you're holy? Tell us who you are. We see that here. I'm a God who is true and true to my word. You be that way, right? I'm a God who takes sin so seriously. I have devised a very difficult system of law keeping for you to be reminded constantly how serious your sin against me because I'm holy and you're sinful. We have seen the covenant love of God on display in countless ways in this book. A God that would say of sinners and rebels, I choose you. I choose you to be my people. Out of the nations, I chose you, Israel. I didn't choose them. I chose you. And I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to call you to myself. I'm going to teach you how to, I am going to be in your midst. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is all covenant, just lavish love and grace. They don't deserve this. How do we live in the presence of a holy God? Well, he's commanded. He gives us instructions. This is how you're going to survive in proximity to my presence. This is what you need to do. In faith, from the heart, obey me. Walk in my ways. Keep my commandments. Hmm. There are two aspects to the book of Leviticus that I think are important as we look back over these verses to kind of consider here. Leviticus is given to Israel, to Israel, at a point in history. The ceremonial law that's so just Filling these pages is is no longer in in effect jesus fulfilled that completely that's why we're not sacrificing in worship of god this morning that's why we're not keeping all of these things however just point to this the moral law is all over these pages as well who is he in his holiness what is the ethical implication for our lives We understand much. Let's look at the Ten Commandments, right? Nine out of ten of that, that's moral moral law. That's completely in effect, friends. Strong in view. So the question comes, what about us as Christians? We're not Israel. We are not. We are believers, the New Testament, New Covenant, right? What do we do? How do we understand this? Well, listen to this sum up from David Dockery. I, I love his words here god chose israel to be his servant people and to represent him and his saving purposes on earth this same god in jesus christ has redeemed a people in this day to serve a corresponding function now we are not israel but we are god's people in the new covenant all through christ the sacrifices, rituals, ceremonies, and holy days may have lost their legal status for the church. They have. We're not bound by these things, all the food laws and all these things. However, the principles for, of holiness that they embodied and demonstrated are principles that are to characterize God's people in every generation as salt and light in this world. You see, you see what he's saying? He's saying, We glean so much from the giving of the law here, even though that a lot of the ceremonial aspect is is no longer binding on us. What we glean, we seek to live out in holiness, in holiness, in obedience to God. But the thing I think that stands out to me most as I look back over these weeks in Leviticus is the glory of Jesus Christ. I hope that every single week you have seen him in a new way. Just, just watched him unfold the fulfillment of Christ in all of these things that, that prefigured him or anticipated him. The best way to think of this is from shadow to reality. Leviticus Begins to show us these amazing shadows. And some of them are long. And, and, and you're looking at them and trying to say, well, what is that? And it's almost like looking at a, a person or a building and trying to, to draw. What does the real building look like? Well, there's a line here. It goes up. But I'm lacking the detail. All I can see is the shadow here. That's Leviticus. The reality comes in view in Christ. The fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled the law. Perfectly so. So what I want to do to close this morning and to just call us to, to let this be our response to the book of Leviticus together is I just want to read from Hebrews 10. It's, it's just the commentary on Leviticus and the new covenant which we have in Christ. So just take this in and make it your prayer. Make it your prayer as we seek to put these words to work in our lives and glory in Christ. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, that's Leviticus, instead of the true form of these realities, from shadow to reality, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have uh, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having uh, once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. And then this statement, this is going to be where Romans takes us as well, the early chapters of Romans. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. All it could do is cover it till you sin again. Then you have to cover it with blood again and cover it. But it can't remove sin. It was never the final answer. It was always the pointer. He, Jesus, down in verse 9b, He, Jesus, does away with the first. That's the law. In order to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that, we uh, will we have uh, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest, so now we're talking about the priest, think of this. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ, the great high priest, when Christ had offered for all time, A single sacrifice for sins. What did he do? He sat down. His work was done. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being made holy. That's that word. Sanctified. Set apart for holiness to the Lord. He by a single offering has perfected or made perfect for all time those who are being made holy right now, today, in this room. It's true of us. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts. He's going to write them on their hearts as he's doing right now. And I will write them on their minds. Ezekiel also says, I will cause them to walk in my way. Jeremiah chimes in as well. I will give them a new heart. Then he adds, and I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. How? 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 through Jesus. It was always he's the scapegoat and the atoning sacrifice. Do you hear the echo of these words from Leviticus? Where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin. That's why friends there is no altar in this church. There's only a pointer to a finished work. A once for all finished work. Therefore, okay. Here comes our application. This is our response. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, remember the veil that was torn from top to bottom? The pointer of that is, that is through his flesh as he was crucified for us. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us, my friends, draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promises faithful. That's the anchor of our hope. That's the tenacity of our grip on him is he won't let go of us. And so we hold to him with all our might. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. Hmm. Praise God for your presence here. You see that verse in its context? Holy people called to walk in holiness. Part of that is to gather, to build one another up, to worship. We are not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but what are we to do instead? Meet together and encourage one another and all the more, gets hard gas pedal down all the more as you see the day drawing near let's pray oh god we thank you for the commentary of hebrews 10 on the book of leviticus we thank you that at the epicenter of these words is our savior jesus christ And the amazing accomplishment that he has made once for all. We thank you that we have a Savior who is seated. Not continuing to work, but he is seated at your right hand. He is sovereign. And he is coming again. Father, we thank you that your son is the builder of the church. He is the head of this church and its chief builder. He is also our great cornerstone. The one who sets the marks and plums the line for all of what we are to do as we walk in holiness. Oh God, find us faithful. Make us holy in a crooked and perverse generation. Teach us what it means to be like light that shines and points to you. Father, we thank you for the gospel that is constantly equipping us to obedience, Calling us out of our sin, out of darkness and into light. Thank you for your provision that, that loves us enough to, to meet us with our sin and call us out. To chisel us. To punish us lovingly when we need it. Your commitment is so great, oh God. Your love, ah, it's endless. We delight in you. Jesus, we delight in you as our king. And Spirit, thank you for your leading and prompting according to God's word. Be glorified, we pray, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.